0: Been a few days since we've been doing this, so I can't possibly review uh, all, everything. So, just going to say in preface that uh, this series of sermons um, is about times of challenge and times of opportunity for change, oh, growth that is. Um, and sometimes in the desert, the Israelites were just living day to day, right? They're just getting through their day just like we do. But then wilderness opportunities rose up and for them just as they do for us. And my hope is that by following them through their desert experiences that we'll be more aware of when the Holy Spirit is showing us opportunities for growth and change. So, um, yeah, so that's what we're trying to... Accomplish here um, for God, and just before I read the scripture, uh, just want to pray first and then um, then start. Lord God, uh, it is a pleasure and an honor, Father, to be in your house and to be with uh, fellow believers. Lord God, um, we just want to bring you honor and glory. We just want to lift your name on high, Lord, and uh, for you to be exalted. Uh, here and in our lives in general, Father, so we just ask you would bless us now and bless this word in Jesus' name. So before um, before um, we start, I guess we put the first slide up. Before um, I get into the scripture, I just wanted to give a quick uh, thing on the Ark of the Covenant um, and the fact that the Ark is symbolic of our assurance that God will dwell with us. The Ark went wherever the Israelites went. And um, that is that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy is with us wherever we go. All right. um, and the an interesting point, the Ark required nine craftsmen, craftsmen ships, if you want to use that word, uh, to build it. And the Holy Spirit has nine personality traits. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those nine. Um, So just an interesting thing about the ark. Uh, I'm not going to dwell on that. You could preach a thousand sermons on the ark, Mm -hmm. right? And what it means. So second slide. Second slide. Um, And this uh, is the blessing of obedience. And we're going to read, if you can find, Deuteronomy 30. Just a few verses in there. The last book in of Moses, or the Pentateuch. So, book five. So, there's only 34 chapters in this, so in chapter 30, verse 5 to 10, says, uh, and he's talking here about... Um, God blessing the Israelites and separating them out and then gathering them back in. And verse 5, it says, He will bring you to the land that belonged to your fathers and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow him, follow all his commands I am giving you today. Then, this is what will happen, then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your fathers if you obey the lord your god and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of law and turn to the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul so there's the promise right if you obey the word there's the blessing <clears throat> So, this is not um, about uh, worldly riches or worldly prosperity, uh, even though if you do obey God, we can testify that we are very prosperous in a lot of different ways, right? We have a lot of worldly riches. Um, But it's, on a deeper level, a prophetic word for the church today. Heart circumcision is about being set apart for God about cutting off the old Adamic nature, leaving that behind, and walking in obedience to the Holy Spirit. And here, prosperity is, he mentions the work of the hands, and it's the work of the hands that bear fruit for the kingdom, right? not just our daily labor. But think about treasure in heaven. And the second aspect, laying up treasure in heaven, uh, is about having fellowship, an intimate relationship with God, the Father. This relationship with God gives us more satisfaction and peace than any worldly wealth we could ever ask for or imagine. And as we know, having just come through the malls at Christmas time, uh, unbridled consumption, as we saw, will never satisfy. Right? And we just had a time of that when the world mixes up the true meaning for this external materialism. That soon fades away. Okay, uh, third slide. Okay, disobedience. Like Shelley, mentioned this morning about the rumbling. It seems like that's just common, right? Every it's human nature, right? To, dis- to be disobedient. So, what are the consequences of disobedience? This list should dissuade us. I mean, it's not uh, exhaustive, but it's uh, some of the consequences of disobedience. Fear. Get away from God. What immediately enters is fear. Sickness. That can be mental, emotional, spiritual, and yes, physical, we discussed. Discontent. Striving, or selfish ambition, as it's often thought of. Unfruitfulness and lack of purpose. And these are mainly conditions of the heart. And the last thing is absolutely destroyed. The Bible says a sword, you know, likens destruction to a sword. So the lusts of the flesh lead to fruitless pursuits. And there are many pursuits out there, as we know, that do not bring kingdom fruit. Right? There's, just pick one, there's many thousands to pick from. And God warns us about disobedience and gives Israel and us the results of our choices. There's some in the list, right? So what is the solution? As every time I'm here, I seem to say that the solution is allow the Holy Spirit to put the flesh in us to death. Different aspects of the flesh. Whatever we're holding on to that's not of God. Okay. Next slide. It's the wilderness of Paran yeah i I don't have time to read all these, but if you want to uh, go home and read it it's uh numbers eleven one to eighteen and there's a bigger a bigger section there you can read and it's about when they were complaining about having manna to eat and so God uh made a wind blow in across the water and uh, blow quail uh into them, and in that had so much quail that they they couldn't even eat it. They were sick of eating quail, and they said it's not going to be for a month, not going to be for a day or a week. It's going to be for a whole month. They're going to keep landing, and and I think I saw they're they're going to come in and they're going to be just a few feet off the ground. And you're just going to go out and kind of pick them, you know. And the detail in the Bible, if you read the thing through, I think you get down to verse thirty-three or thirty-four, and it says, uh, "While the meat was still between their teeth, and before they consumed it," and that's not a long time period there. Uh, God's going to play. Because, yes, I'm open to saying to but I'm not happy about it. right? He's, he's not happy about their grumbling and their disobedience. So, um, this wilderness is also called the wilderness of Paran, the wilderness of rebellion. Um, and basically, the Israelites are saying it's better for us to be in bondage in Egypt uh, than to be out here in the desert with you, God. Right? So, uh, usually, rebellion comes down to blaming God. So they weren't satisfied, even though they had more than enough. That sound? Grass is always greener, no matter what we get. You know, you want something better? Look at that guy. He's got a boat. Look at that guy. He's got a something, right? You know, he got a bigger boat. He's got a bigger house, right? Bigger car. We're not satisfied. It's our nature. So how does God deal with an area of this area of the flesh? And generally, so he allows us to rebel. Right? We have our free will. He doesn't stop that. He allows us to rebel and try to satisfy ourselves. Okay? He lets us try that. He gives us the things that we think we want, quail, uh, to show us that there's nothing satisfying in them. We have to come to that realization ourselves. Um, so, this is a very important point that when you come to this point of dissatisfaction, there's a little window right there there's a window of opportunity. Um, so it's a little bit more than the point. There's a window. This is a little section of time uh, in which we can be free from that thing, whatever that is. So you can choose, A, recognize your folly, right? where you went wrong, where, where you shouldn't have delved into, what you shouldn't have wanted, I guess. Uh, and you confess your sin to God and it makes you free from the flesh in that area of your life, right? You still have wants and desires, but this is an opportunity to get free in that area. Um, or, B, see sin and do not confess, and then we've chosen to give uh, flesh power in our lives, power over, over us instead of crucifying it. <clears throat> okay. Next slide. Some of these are too big to get all in one slide. Pardon my punctuation and abbreviation. Need just very limited space. Um, I tried to be more detailed. Easier to follow. Okay, so what happens um, when the fleshly pleasure returns and he gives us over to it? Um, then, basically, we've rejected his offer of freedom. Here's the offer. You have your free will. Take it or leave it. Right? Um, so we rejected his offer. Um, we become deceived by our lust, our desire, our ambition even, and become enslaved to the flesh in this one area. Okay? You may be free in all these other areas, but you have this one you have to give over. So our house is worse off now than when we started. <clears throat> now this is an interesting point that The opportunity to be free is available to us for only a short time. Now, why would that be? Because you know how you come to a circumstance in your life, you come to just up against something, you come to the end of yourself. Well, that circumstance doesn't stay like that forever. You make choices in that. Okay, there's a problem here, I've got to solve it. And the situation changes. You compensate somehow, right? Something Right? It doesn't just stay. Life is not static. All the people around you are making decisions and changes every day. So, that opportunity is only there for a time. Okay, could be. could be a week or two or whatever. But it is only there for a time. Our lack of response is a response. Doing or saying nothing is a choice. Right? You can't just say, just not to do anything (laughs) and it'll go away, right? And that's why I'm not responsible. I'm not culpable in this situation. No, you made a choice. Uh, So therefore, we must take the opportunity to be free when it is presented. And hopefully, by looking at all the times the Israelites missed it, that's what I was saying at first, that we can see the times, become better aware of what the Holy Spirit's doing. And we see them, we don't miss them. So it may be a long time before the Spirit provides the same opportunity. Circumstances have to just get right again, right? Where you're unduly criticized or someone misunderstands and you're put down the wrong way or who knows what. You lose that thing, some other person gets it. That circumstance doesn't come up again for a while. If, however, you respond in confession and agree with his revealed truth, you will be free. You can have freedom. It's there. If you postpone, then you miss the opportunity. And the interesting thing I was thinking about lately is that constant postponement, okay, the opportunity does come back up, right? Could be a decade later, right? Could be next week. Uh, but constant postponement uh, shapes you. So now uh, you're older, right? 10 years have gotten by, and your character has become shaped in a certain way um, with all that. List of that comes out of dis- disobedience that I mentioned earlier: living in fear, sickness, discontent, striving, lack of purpose, and the result is now it's harder to change. Doesn't get any easier, right? As character gets shaped, you think, "Oh, I'll do that." You know, when I get older, I'll do that. I'll stop this habit. I'll stop this thing. Whatever it is, harder and harder. Doesn't get easier, right? Um, It's harder to hear the spirits heeding. Right? Remember Pharaoh, right? With the hardened heart. Right? Uh, Okay, the next slide. This one's a little more involved. This is this rebellion against Moses. Are we on slide six? Mariam and Korah. Um, This is uh, when they rebel against Moses. And this actually happens in two different chapters. This. The Miriam Rebellion is in Numbers 12, and uh, Korah's is in Number 16, if you want to read that. I'll kind of go over them a little bit here in general, but uh, i suggest you read the 16, too, because it, it's just a long, amazing story. But there's so many good things in 12 that I just can't resist uh, sharing a little bit of them because there's some key, key things in there. So what's happening is Miriam um, and Aaron Moses' brother and sister, come and um, complain, right? That um, the way nothing seems to be happening, okay? There's this, what are we doing up here in this wilderness? Um, This is consistent with the grumbling and complaining of everybody, right? Um, And the long story short is that um, the verbs are in the feminine there, and Miriam's mentioned first, which is unusual. Usually the men would be mentioned first, so it suggests that she was leading. And once again, Aaron follows, just like he did with the golden calf. You can see the personalities here. And Miriam um, uh, is the one that gets leprosy out of this. Aaron doesn't, and she's uh, asked to stay outside the camp for seven days to be cleansed. Um, but the interesting there's some interesting stuff that twelve three uh, says. This is where it says, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. That's, if you were wondering who the most humble person that says right here in the Bible in 12.3 that Moses was it. And look at the role he was given. So if you want to be used mightily by God, humble thyself, right? <laughs> and he will lift you up. higher don't and, higher. Um, and then God calls the three of them before him for an audience. Moses, Aaron, and Mary. And uh, this is what he says to them in uh, verse um, 5, I guess. He summoned them and he said, uh, you two, I want to talk to you. When both of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. This is in This is God speaking directly to these two. He says, when a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions, I speak to him in dreams, but this is not true of my servant Moses, he is faithful in all my house, with him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Kind of um, hidden in there is the fact that, um, you know, in Jesus' day, you know, they said, why do you speak to people in parables, right? They'll be ever hearing and ever understanding, right? Moses was the only one. Like God just said, you know, clearly, here's my word, here's my commands. write these words down. But it doesn't mean that people didn't doubt that, you know, and didn't come against them. In number 16, I'm not sure if I can do this justice, but it's a very long chapter, but just very quickly, what happens is um, Korah, K-O-R-A, Korah, this guy, and uh, he's a Levite, he incites a rebellion. And uh, he must have been a powerful guy because he got 250 of the leading men and the council to follow him. And also, three Reubenites are mentioned: two brothers, David and Abram, and uh, on another, another that wasn't their brother. Um, he got all these people together to abo- oppose Moses, and just to read a couple of verses to you. There you go. Uh, Was a good read. So you have these 250 people coming before Moses and complaining. Okay. Um, they said to him, Moses, you've gone too far. The whole community is holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is with them. Why then you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? They were kind of jealous. Moses, well, what's special about you? You know, we're just as good. We're, we're we hear the Lord too. You know, we're holy guys. Uh, Moses heard this and he fell face down. He said to Korah and all his followers, "In the morning, the Lord will show who belongs to Him and who is holy, and He will have that person come near Him." Um. He said to Korah, "Now listen." Uh, You Levites, isn't it enough for you that the Lord of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near him to do the work at the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them? He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself, but now you're trying to get the priesthood too. Unsatisfied. No matter what you receive, okay? I've given you all this. You want more, no matter what um so just to summarize the story then he calls uh, the two brothers uh dathan and uh, abram they refused to come right uh and then um moses uh says here's what i want you to do uh each man uh, is to take a censer and put incense in it 250 censers in all and present it before the lord you and Aaron are present your censers also. So each man took his censer, uh, put fire and incense in it, and stood with Moses and Aaron at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Korah had gathered all his followers in opposition to them at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord appeared uh, to the entire assembly. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Separate yourselves from the assembly so I can put an end to them at once. Um, Moses and Aaron again fall face down and intercede for them Uh, and then um, then uh, these other two fellows the Reubenites, Dathan and uh, Abram are brought up and uh, Moses has this little test he says if these fellows die of natural causes then I'm not the leader but if the ground opens up and swallows them whole then that will show that you had contempt for the Lord. The ground opens up, swallows Korah and uh, Dathan and Abram, and um, they, you know, that's it for them. Um, <laughs> yeah, as soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with their households and all Korah's men. Um, so then, what they do, because the censers were presented to the Lord, they're holy. So they go out, it says, he tells Aaron's son Eliezer uh, to go out among the ashes, and um, where, because fire from the Lord came down, it says in verse 35 and the fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. Uh, so then he says uh, tell your son Eliezer to go out and pick up the censers because they were offered to the Lord so they're holy so they have to be gathered up so they gather them up they beat them flat into sheets and then they overlay the altar with them right very interesting detailed stuff you could study Um, and uh, amazing I'll close with this couple sentences but uh, he says um, the people come the next day Still, <laughs> they're not happy, right? Um, it says, The next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You have killed the Lord's people, they said. But, <laughs> never ends, But when the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and turned toward the tent of meeting, suddenly the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meeting, uh, verse 44, and the Lord said to Moses, Get away from this this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. And they fell face down. Um, So then what happened was, against this group, a plague broke out. And um, he got Aaron to go and fill his censer, Moses did. And uh, he stood between, where the the plague was going, between the dead, wherever he died, and the living. And the plague was stopped. Uh, But before it got stopped, 14,700 people. Or dead from this. So, I'll tell you that whole story. I hope you didn't mind, but uh, it just shows you the extent of the rebellion and the way God. If you're following God, you can trust Him, no matter what the situation, right? It doesn't just mean one event. God intervenes, and you're all set. Then you may get more confrontation, right? You may get more. Um, challenge. But trust God, right? Every time Moses went back to God. Okay. All right, all that to start the slide. Uh, So basically what they're saying here is that uh, difficulties expose deeper levels of unbelief in our heart, right? When... When things arise, then our true colors can come out when challenges arise. Uh, so Israel is in the wilderness a long time, and nothing seemed to be happening. Nothing um, that God was doing seemed to be making sense. So Miriam thinks um, that she could do it better. Right, Her and Korah rose up in their own understanding. That's the capital F flesh, right? Our own understanding, we can do it. Um, had they succeeded, they may have compromised and made the Promised Land in the Israelites just like the nations of Canaan. Right? God in His wisdom, that's why it looks how it looks today. So, the pitfall is leaning on your own understanding and rejecting the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the challenge is that when the Holy Spirit is leading, not to go back to your own figuring, your own you know, mental gymnastics, Uh, but to step forward into that hard thing that he's leading you into, right? Remember, the things of the Holy Spirit are foolishness to the natural understanding, to our mind, right? The Holy Spirit is uh, pure love, joy, peace, etc. Um, And this will look totally different than our worldly thinking, right? Than our conditional love. Not pure. I will love you if. All right. David Jeremiah we heard this morning talking about uh, in the book of John about uh, the love of God. Right, and God being pure love. So it will look different, different than ours. Um, to our fear of joy, um, our peace mixed with turmoil. Okay. So when the Holy Spirit presents this stuff, it's different than what we thing, and how we act, and how we conceive the world. So we want to trust our understanding because it's known. It's the known. That's what we've got, right? Um, We're comfortable with it. Our understanding is easiest. It's the path of least resistance to ourselves, to our flesh. That lines up with my previous thinking, that must be right, you know, that's easy. That confirms that I was right. Oh, aren't I right. great? <laughs> yeah. And the Holy Spirit's over here going, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Listen to me. Okay, next slide. Um so we may think, uh, is this slide seven? Yeah. Okay. Um wait. Uh, go back one slide. That's good. Okay. There. Still. Um, so, we may think we would never rebel, regardless of our wilderness. It's in our head. We would never do that, right? Look at those people. Right? Uh, but then circumstances come up in our lives um, and bring up from our hearts feelings and attitudes that we never ever imagined we could have. Right? Wow, I can't believe I acted like that. Right, in retrospect, it's like, oh, wish I hadn't have posted that, wish I hadn't have said that. Um, when someone's trying to lead us or teach us new, it's like new stuff, uh, things we've never experienced or imagined, it's outside of our experiential understanding. We've never experienced it. And someone's trying to teach us that or lead us there, things we've not come up with by our own thinking, our own logic, then we tend to resist it human nature, cautious, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, watch out for that becoming a habit. We tend to resist, or at least dismiss it, right? Not open resistance, but oh well, that doesn't matter, right? That won't affect me. We trust what we know. This is why it's so important to know the Holy Spirit well. Know Him better and better, because they'll trust what you know. The deeper your relationship with the Holy Spirit, the more you'll trust, so the more you'll be willing to receive from Him. That is, the more you'll be willing to let go of the known, the flesh, and change as He leads, so the more you will grow. That's logic. When we rebel, we must seek the root cause of rebellion. And if you trace it right down to the root, it's usually unbelief in the love of God. It's a small step uh, to go from the lie about God's love and care for us, right, not being enough, or not being good enough, or not being all sufficient, to I can do it better on my own. Right, first, well, God's not doing anything here in this wilderness. God's not doing anything in my life. I'm going to take charge to make something happen here. I think I'm going to buy that house. I am going to go and take that course. That might be from God. But get on your knees. Check it. Right if not your will over his. All right, the spies. Yeah. Um, okay, so except for Joshua and Caleb, uh, the spies brought back an exaggerated report of the strength of Canaan. And this exposes Israel's heart of unbelief. Israel still had this slave mentality, okay, from being captive in Egypt. All right, so they believed that... Um, they could not be conquerors, right? And we have to watch out our past, right? It's hard to do new things. It's really hard to let go of your past and challenge yourself. So it's easy to get into a habit of maybe victimization, you know, be a victim, woe is me stuff, and not move beyond that, uh, not believe that God is enough, that he will see you through in these situations. Um, Always uh, use victim or conqueror or whatever, whatever that is that's holding you back. Let God challenge you in that area. Christians today are called. Christians today are called to conquer, but they don't believe sometimes. Matthew twenty five fourteen to thirty is a very familiar passage about uh, the talents, um, and it's about a master goes away and he gives the first uh, slave uh, five talents. Second one, two, third one, one. First guy goes out and gets five more. Second guy goes out and gets two more. Third guy goes out and buries his talent in the ground. And then the master comes back. The guy with five presents the other five. And he said, oh, the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, you were uh, faithful in a little few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Here's the other five back. Here, go with your ten. Same with the guy with two. Yeah, I can put you in charge of many things. fellow with one comes and says, uh, I took your talent out and I buried it in the ground. Uh, here's that one talent back. Uh, I knew you were a hard man who uh, reaped where you didn't sow and, and harvested where you didn't land, whatever. And um, so here he says, You evil servant. Why didn't you put my talent on the bank and gain interest to bring that back to me? Take his talent and uh, give it to the man who has ten. Because he who has not, even what he has, will be taken from him. But he who has will be given more. Right? Um, so throw this evil servant outside where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, is the, the Bible saying. So, this idea of the talents is a story like this stage of Israel's journey. Uh, their fear and their past was influencing their present and their future, all right? So, it's so important to let go of <laughs> our fears, if we can. The hardest thing to do, right? Fear of failure means that they wouldn't risk defeat. Nobody wants to fail anything, right? Somebody, I mean, there's an old saying, right? My greatest lesson is my last defeat or last failure, because that's where you were challenging yourself. Um, So they were looking with natural eyes, not the eyes of faith, not trusting in God to make them victorious. God knows, he knows everything, so he knows that we will death. He's not thrown off by that. Uh, But he expects us to return to him when we lose our peace. Okay, okay, the last uh, title, next slide, is um, The Death of a Generation. <clears throat> this is going to wrap us up in this wilderness section. Um, the whole generation that left Egypt, including Moses, died without entering the promised land. Only Joshua and Caleb entered the land. right? Uh, and this death of a generation symbolizes, of course, the death of that old nature, right? And the resurrection of the new spiritual man, right? Um... And also, it's a warning to believers that if we do not deal brutally, do not deal, just, you know, don't be easy on yourself, uh, deal brutally with our unbelief, then we will never enter the promises of love, joy, peace, prosperity, and rest, and the fulfillment of our call and fruitfulness. All right? There's so much God has for us, so much in many ways He wants to bless us. These promises or this promised land, uh, are, is only for those who are willing to continue to risk in the Holy Spirit. You can have all this. All this is there for us, right? We can have the great bounty of God. We know that. Uh, remember that after Jesus was baptized, he was led immediately by the Spirit into the wilderness, right? That's in, that's in Matthew 4.1. Um we can refuse the Holy Spirit at any time. Uh, many temptations will try to stop us from receiving everything that He has for us uh, materialism, unbelief, rebellion, stubbornness, which is really stiff neckedness, the Bible says. Stiff neckedness leads to hard heartedness. Right? So don't be stubborn over time, don't resist over time. Um, other pursuits of folly. Uh, in other words, anything outside of God's leading. Uh, and our personal wilderness, last point there, is designed to expose to ourselves the unbelief of our hearts. Well, that's why we're in our own. No two people here are in the same wilderness, no matter if your spouse. You'll answer in a different wilderness than me. We, our wilderness cross, of course, because we have a lot of shared experience. Uh, but the path up the mountain is a solitary path. Um, Next slide. Um, If our unbelieving hearts overcome us and we agree with the lies of the world, then we are defeated. Uh, We don't enter the promised land. God is not threatened by our rebellion against him. Um, He is not afraid to let us go off on our own path. He knows we have nowhere to go, right? Um, Everything is futile and unsatisfying once we have known the satisfying goodness and provision of God. Um, When we know this old uh, saying, uh, everything that happens to us happens for a reason. The flesh sees this as foolishness, but the spirit is leading those who will be led into the paths of righteousness. Um. That's where we're being led. He has the better path, right? He is more right. He has the actual truth. He is actual love, right? So don't choose a lesser path. Okay, and the last slide. Um, so this will happen only if we rededicate ourselves daily. Let's take up your cross daily. Why do we do that? To allow him to test us and humble us. Remember who? Moses the most humble man. Reason I talked about that, because you'll uh, be used greatly by God um, to test us and humble us and redeem our hearts so we can be the pure, spotless bride for Him when He returns for us. And then I think I put the Joshua twenty four fifteen in there that says, choose for yourself, yourself. It doesn't matter what anybody else is doing, okay? Because there's many people doing many things. Right, that look good, that might look like they're succeeding, look like they're having a great time, but choose for yourself this day, this very day, whom you will serve. And you just got to say to everybody, do what you're going to do. As for me and my household, this is what we're going to do. Okay, We're going to serve the Lord. Okay? Just put a stake in the ground and say, I'm not going to do all these things that the world is offering me I'm going to serve God. I'm going to walk with Him. Okay? As soon as we go out this door, we've got whatever here now, like 10 or 12 people that are all believing. But you go out here, and I don't know what the percentage is, 90, 90 some percent that don't believe. You're going to have a lot of interactions with people who are not serving the Lord, who in their household, they have not chosen God. Right? They've chosen all kinds of other things. Anything but so we have lots of opportunity to exhibit our walk in our wilderness, right, and uh, be an example. Okay, so that's the end of the wilderness. And next week we're going into, I think it's Jericho, and that's stage two, and then stage three, and then wrap up. Okay, that's it.